Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. When I want to remember things, I don't rely on my memory. I rely on cues. I put something up in our house, uh, uh, you know, a poster. I put something on the, on the screen of my computer or something in my Bible. It just, I used to feel bad about needing reminders, and I thought, that's not bad to need reminders. It's better to remember than not use reminders. So anyways, that's an encouragement. So let's get back to this mini-series here, which I started last week and, and will end this week. And I've titled it, What is God Like? And this is related to the question, and I'm going to review a little bit to start here, related to the question of, you know, can we worship God in truth? And so I just want to, again, establish a couple of things here, because I don't want you to forget this part. Uh, what we're talking about here is not misrepresenting God. And I came across a verse this week that I've never noticed before, and it's probably because it's in the book of Leviticus. Has anybody else ever started a Bible reading plan and got stalled in Leviticus? Has anybody else experienced that before? Okay, quite a few people I see hands up. I mean, I've gone through there before, but I do get kind of, it's not a glazed over look in my eyes when I read it, but it's more a glazed over like heart sometimes. It's like, okay, uh, another offering. What offering was that again? Like, what was that for? Okay, is it the priests? Like, okay, and then you just keep going on. So, so I do get bogged down, but this verse here really spoke to me this week on this idea of worshiping God in truth. Leviticus twenty-two thirty-two. God says, do not profane my holy name. I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. Now, so I, I looked up the word profane. What does that mean? I mean, we don't use that word. Oh, we're familiar with the word profanity. But what does it mean to, to profane God's name? What, what might that mean? So it turns out that the Hebrew word behind that is actually means to pollute or dilute. Okay, so pollute or dilute. So pretty simple definition. I'm gonna get a picture showing up on the screen here because I think this maybe will help us think or, about this. Uh, this is a picture from, I don't know if you, do you, oh, there's a picture. Okay, that's from uh, New Delhi in India. Um, under normal circumstances, uh, that's the air quality there. Now, again, I've said this many times, I have bad sinuses. Fragrances or smoke can trigger my sinuses pretty quickly. In fact, if it was smoky outside today, I'm going to have a bad day. I'm not going to feel well. And then when I look at that, I think, can you imagine living in that? I mean, it's so sad. Now, show the next picture. Because of COVID, there's been less restrictions, or there's been restrictions and less people out and about. So that's what it's been looking like in New Delhi. Maybe you've seen these pictures on the internet. Because of less human activity, I'm like, to me, that looks more beautiful. I think we'd all agree with that. And I'm, this isn't, by the way, this isn't a point to make point about environmentalism and that. <laughs> some people say, where are you going with that? But this part of our world is things like are polluted. Okay, and then I, I even when I was looking up these pictures, I found pictures like of beaches just scattered with garbage. And now that's God's creation. And I don't think we'd want to pollute God's creation. But again, it happens as we're in this world. This week I thought about this. That's God's creation. How sad it would be if we take the Creator's name and pollute His name. The one who created that beauty. The one who sustains our very life. The one who claimed our life through the blood of Jesus. 
How could we ever profane his name? We wouldn't want to do that. So now, often I pray, God, give me a soft heart. And I just want to do a little sidebar here for a second. Okay, this is a planned sidebar. How do you know you have a soft heart or a hard heart? I mean, I ask that question all of the time. Um, and how would I, because how would I know if I have a hard heart? And it's not as simple as that. There's parts of our hearts that are often soft and parts that are hard. And, and I mean, it's a mix. But I just, I just made a statement that we would not want to profane or pollute God's name. I found that a hard heart will often apply those questions only to other people. Like inside we might say, oh, I can't believe they, and we might even have a name in our mind, or a group, I can't believe they profane God's name. And it may be true, there are people who do that. But a soft heart, this is just a little tip for sermons, period. A soft heart starts with, I wonder if I do that in any way. So maybe we have soft hearts and ask, is there any way I misrepresent God? I mentioned last week, I often, uh, about once a week, I go out and share Jesus with people in some kind of public place, and, and uh, I, I always enjoy it. It's not always easy, but I enjoy it in the end. So th- about three months ago, I was in a mall in Winnipeg, and um, I bought some stuff. I usually, I always try to buy one or two things when, when I'm in the mall. Um, even if I'm sharing my faith, I just feel, if I'm gonna hang out at the mall for three hours, I should give them business. I can always find stuff to buy. My kids would claim that I have way too many clothes now because of my evangelistic activity, but um, I don't know. So it, it, it's a blessing on the side. So anyways, I, I was there, I was holding a bag, I just bought something, and I saw two young men who I was pretty sure were Sikhs because they had turbans on. So I walked over, and this is how I usually do it. I strike up a conversation, and if somebody doesn't want to talk at all, then I just let them be. That's respect. So I started talking to these two young guys, and I said, oh, you guys have been shopping, what'd you buy? They told me what they bought, I told them what I bought, I, and then um, I said, you know, I'm curious, can I ask you a question? Oh, yeah, you can ask us a question. I said, uh, are you Sikh? Yep, we're Sikh. Okay, um, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm curious what your perspective on Jesus is. Oh, he was a very good man. I said, well, I totally agree with you. <laughs> the best ever. And I said, and I love his teaching. I, I threw out a verse, just, just again, naturally, not like I didn't start speaking in a different tone when I, I, I said the verse out loud. You know, I didn't pull out the Bible on my phone. This is why we should memorize the Bible, by the way, if we can weave it in naturally in our conversations. And uh, I said, hey, you know, and Jesus, um, he said he was God and that he died for our sins. I said, what do you think, if that's true, I said, how do you think Jesus feels about you only calling him a good man? Well, they said, well, that's a good question. Well, then all of a sudden, a bunch of other their friends come. So there's me and like seven, eight guys. And I thought, sometimes, it's only later on I realized, I wonder what these, this looks like. You know, like here I'm middle of the mall and there's me and all these Sikhs now, you know, and, and I don't know what it looks like, and it doesn't matter. I just, it's part of my entertainment after I think, oh, I wonder what that looked like. <laughs> then all of a sudden, uh, their girlfriends and wives came, and I said, oh, I don't want to take too much of your mind. To me, again, that's respect. So, you know, if you need to go. And, and you know, one of, the, one of the wives said, well, 
what are you guys doing? We're having conversation about religion and that. And uh, oh, and then and I, they said this, not me. They said, oh, we can shop more then. And they ran off, okay? So, so <laughs> okay, again, I did not say that, okay? I'm not trying to reinforce stereotype. They said it. <laughs> so then I just, here's how I concluded the conversation with them. I said, we agree that there's a God or, you know, something out there. Um, can we agree that, that what he is like would be important to him? So you're making us think. I said, oh, that's fine, we can, you know? And they said, well, we can, we can uh, talk again. They, that's what they said. And they gave, one of them gave me their contact information. So we've been in touch. Now, what God is like matters, not just to the unbeliever, but to the believer. I like what Stefan said in the prayer summit on Wednesday. We need to come to God on his own terms. So that's part of what I'm trying to establish in this short series. I also mentioned last week, there's incredible peace in knowing God. John 16, says, I have told you these things, Jesus speaking, so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, you might be like me, probably. You sometimes read those statements, I've overcome the world, you take heart. Sometimes I, I fall into this trap of thinking, well, then it's just automatic. I, I'm gonna be an overcomer. I'm gonna have peace automatically. And then you find out that's not true. The key words here, it's just so subtle. When we read the Bible, sometimes we, don't, we go so fast. I've told you these things so that in me, you will have peace. So, and again, as I mentioned last week, we're not talking about just in a vague God, a God who is, and then fill in the blanks, many attributes. That's where peace is found, by being in the God as he is, as he reveals himself to be. So last week I talked about God is merciful, he is judge, and he's majestic. And we're going to look at two more attributes uh, this morning. I kept it to two because uh, I always am close to going long or go long. And I thought, why don't I go with two and then I'm less likely to go long. Doesn't that seem like a good plan? I think, I think that's a good plan. And now if I go long, then people are going to be like, okay, well, you should go to one next time, Chris. Okay, so, so maybe I should just keep with the intro. All right, so God is powerful. That's the first attribute. And I came up with a definition Again, imperfect definition, but I think it's decent. What does it mean to say God is powerful? It means he can do anything. Notice I put it in all caps. That means it's an important word, I think, <laughs> okay? He can do anything that doesn't contradict his other attributes. So that last part is just a clarification. God is not, like some people will say, well, I wish he would just, you know, smite them, whatever they, whoever they are. Well, if it contradicts, you know, his other attributes, he's not going to do that, okay? Even when God judges, it has to fit in. He's all things that, all the time. Okay, we can't do that, but he is that. So his power, David understood his power. Psalm 147, verses four and five, says he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. Like, like, can you imagine determining the number of stars? Like, we get very prideful as humans sometimes with our advancements and all that kind of stuff. And it is amazing how, what we can do because God created us in his image. But determine the number of stars? 
David's response is to declare, great is our Lord and mighty in power. If you read the Psalms, you're going to notice something. David has emotion in his declarations. To worship God in truth isn't to simply state facts about God. If we're encountering God, as David did, there'll be emotion in our declarations. Now, some of us are more naturally emotional than others, but it it doesn't really matter our normal personality. We know we're growing in Him when emotion begins to be connected to our declarations. It should be beyond, well, God is powerful. It should be, God is powerful. Because here's the thing, knowing that as a fact actually generally doesn't bring peace. Knowing it from deep within is often what brings peace. Another um, Old Testament character here, Micah. Micah, this verse here, is actually looking ahead to a future time, future even to us, to the end times. And this is what he says. It's kind of the end of the end times. Micah 4.4, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. Now, uh, one time I read that in School of Ministers, that verse. I always found there are certain personalities that would ask certain questions that I would, or, or just share things about the verse that I would never think of. That's partly why I like community, but we read this verse and one of the students said, why, ah, that doesn't really strike me. I don't really like figs, they said. And I'm like, like I never thought of, like I never thought of thinking, you know. Of course, I just, often about the end times, you see, don't worry, God's good, okay? So you probably, how it's gonna work out is you're not gonna end up consuming something forever and ever that you don't like, okay? So, oh, okay, you know, like, so I, I just loved those kinds of conversations. Um, although it was frustrating times when you're trying to move on to the actual point. <laughs> now, Micah's, again, prophesying to a future time. Now, we may read these verses again and we might think, okay, well, whatever, I've got my house, I've got my property. Some of you would even have big properties. You have lots of space. You have to remember, at the time period, Israel had been, you know, they, they had been uh, reduced in size. So at the time that Micah is prophesying, not all the Israelites have their own property. M- Micah's looking ahead and he says, there'll be a day of restoration, and at that restoration, you will each have your own space, and you're not going to be afraid any longer. Now, one of the things I don't like is wishful thinking, like hoping for things that aren't possible. But here's the thing. Because God is powerful, this will happen. It says, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. Micah's not just adding that on as a statement. He's saying to the Israelites, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, this is going to happen and it's guaranteed because God is powerful. Imagine having prayer times with that in our minds when we begin to pray, that what God decrees happens, that completely changes our prayer time when we have that. I've learned now in my journaling in the morning, I always start by thanking God for his attributes. Always start there. I don't don't start with myself anymore. I don't start with my problems anymore. I bring those to God. We'll talk about that in a little bit. 
but oh, get my eyes on him because it changes the whole tone of the rest of the prayer time. When I used to start my prayer times with myself, I often didn't even end up with peace at the end of my prayer times. And that's frustrating when you go to prayer and you're more worked up after the prayer. Sometimes I don't even write down my requests anymore. They're in my heart. I just say, oh Lord, you are. And, you know, I declare attributes. Jeremiah said, but God made the earth by his power. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from the storehouses. I mean, creation declares his power. So here's a phrase I use once in a while. I come up with phrases to provoke thought. And some of them work, some of them don't work, but hey, I'm experimenting with you this weekend. So they didn't need, I don't even think they got this last night. So, so this is the first time. But here's a phrase I've been using sometimes when people get very excited about creation. I often will make a statement. I'll say, well, just make sure you're not a pagan. And they're always like, what do you mean? I say, well, actually pagans, they worship creation. And I think sometimes we as believers can fall into that. We're not actually pagans, but we stop short of actually worshiping him. And we're just, we actually can like relentlessly chase after the creation rather than the creator. To, to worship God in truth isn't to stop short by just looking at creation. It's to actually encounter him. In the New Testament, it talks about his power. A verse about Jesus, the Son. Hebrews 1.3, the sun radiates God's power or God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Do you know the fact that we're still breathing right now is because of his command? That's powerful. Oh, again, can we worship him as he is? When we pray, when we sing, When we talk about him, is that what our hearts are filled with? I know I need to grow in that. So he's powerful in creation. He's powerful in Jesus. But I want to address a question now that that many ask. I've asked pastors in the groups that I mentor, they ask this question too. And it's a great question. And the question is, why don't we see more of his power? Or, or, Or do we need to, like, get to a huge waterfall to be reminded of his power? Is there, is there a way for us to be aware of his power more? And, and I, I prayed a lot about that and I thought about that. And, and, and it's an important question again, because again, the point is we want to worship God. We want to elevate him as he is. So, so how could we see his power more? And I, I think this is actually where we come in. See, God displaying his glory isn't only God just saying, I'm going to display my glory independent of people. Part of him displaying his glory is us allowing his power to flow through our lives. The answer to the question, why don't we see his power more, is in part due to the fact that we are not always allowing him to use us as his vessels. So I want to challenge us in this. 2 Timothy 1.7. A lot of people have memorized this verse. It's a great verse to memorize. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. You know, a number of years ago, I talked to this foster mom, and, 
And again, one of, one of my uh, type of heroes in this world are, are foster parents. And so we were discussing and she, she was telling me about their regular schedule and the kind of like chaos in their home sometimes and the wisdom that she needed. And she, she shared a little bit the strategies they had got from God. And, and then she told me how tired they were often, but how the, God strengthened them. And she made a statement at the end of the conversation. She said, oh, I need God so much to do this. I wish I was stronger naturally. Now, I knew this person very well, so I wouldn't have said this to somebody I didn't know very well, but I said to her, I'm glad you're not naturally stronger because this conversation we just had, I'm more in awe of God's power than ever because of how much wisdom and strength you have to fulfill God's, you know, or bring God's kingdom in this way on this earth. You know, see, a lot of times we struggle to be vessels because we don't like feeling weak. But I'm going to tell you a secret. Full maturity does not mean we would stop feeling weak. That's not the biblical plan. Sometimes I tell school ministry students that, and they look depressed after. I, if you're hearing for the first time, I understand why. God allows us to be weak and then show his power through our weakness so that people know his reality. If, if we're just strong and can pull off everything in ourselves, we'll get the credit. So I'm, I'm gonna read another verse here. There's so many passages about this in the New Testament, especially through Paul. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Can we embrace our weakness? I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about just the weakness of being human. And can we say, God, I want you to make my life something that is only explainable by your power. You might say, no, no, that's too risky. It's, here's the risk. Then we're not worshiping him in truth. We're not doing our part in answering that question that many have, why not more of God's power? So we need to be available as weak vessels. Like, I'm, again, I'm gonna tell you the truth. Like, I, I've been in this you know, Christian walk for a long time now, I've been in ministry for a long time. You actually really rarely feel capable. It doesn't matter how much experience you get. There's always a twist. Last night I felt so great, the message. I felt good after the message. You know, you don't always feel good after the message. Sometimes after a message I vow to never preach again. Okay, so it happens. Felt so good. Thought, okay, good. You kind of almost can relax. Ah, oh, Saturday went well. No angry emails. Sunday's gonna be fine. I slept one hour last night. I, and I'm lying in bed there, I'm like, Years ago, I would have been so mad. Oh, I would have been so mad. You know what, actually what I was thinking most of the night? A chance for you to show your power again, God. I mean, I've been thinking about the persecuted church and, I've, and, and that woman from Syria, and I thought, if she could experience your presence only sleeping three hours a night for like a year, max three hours, I think I can experience your presence as I'm not sleeping. I kept saying to God, as I don't sleep, you know, tonight, or sometimes, then I switched my prayer to, you know, as I don't sleep this morning. Like, you know, it was fun actually watching the phone change the time um, at two in the morning. 
fact that my wife, of course, was, I was keeping her up and, and uh, at 1.40 I said, it hasn't changed yet. She says it changes at two. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm gonna watch. <laughs> you know, I don't get, usually get to be up at that time. <laughs> so, but I've learned not to fight against that weakness. In Acts 1.8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Isn't it interesting? Have you ever noticed this? Jesus is about to launch a movement. Like he's launching the church. That's kind of important in his plan. He doesn't give them 50 steps. He says, you're gonna receive the Holy Spirit and power. And then you watch through the book of Acts, what they do, they preach, they teach, they heal, they use the spiritual gifts that God's given. I mean, and they become witnesses. And so my question that I'm asking myself and I'm asking us is that, is, are, we re- are we available for that? Now, I just wanna do a little, again, little sidebar here because I think it's important to address this. Uh, you know, because I hear this once in a while. People say, okay, yeah, that's, yeah, true, you need power and yeah, the apostles did that, but, but that was for the apostles. And I hear that sometimes and, and I'm like, Here's my response. I, I wasn't sure what word to even use, but I was like, that's actually very silly to think that it was only for the apostles. It, it just, it, 1 Corinthians 14.1, okay? One, one of the ways that God shows his power is through spiritual gifts. One of the spiritual gifts is prophecy. And it says here, the apostle Paul, so I believe that scripture should be our authority, but here's what he says. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts especially prophecy. So the Apostle Paul, how can we say that it stops with him when he's telling the church, use these gifts? So we need to worship God in truth. So uh, what I mean by that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of look at this from two angles. Number one, first of all, we should treat God's gifts very carefully. We should steward them well We shouldn't abuse them. We shouldn't profane God's name by declarations that aren't true. I mean, something I've noticed online, many people are mad about this. There are Christian self-proclaimed prophets that made declarations in the last US election. Oh, this person's gonna win. And you don't hear a peep from them after they show that they were wrong. The same thing will happen in this election as well. You've got Christian prophets on both sides saying Trump will win and Biden will win. And it, that's, that's profaning the name of the Lord when there's these declarations made with no accountability. So we need to worship in, him in truth by treating his gifts in a very careful way. And if you've ever misused the gift of God, I would encourage you to apologize. We're not gonna be perfect. But on the other side, we don't want to profane his name by now saying, well, these gifts, they were for just Paul. Even though the very word of God says they weren't just for Paul. You know, it's lazy to go to extremes. I've learned that in life. <laughs> it's easy to say, oh, some people abuse the gifts, so we're not gonna even go there. That's lazy. Instead of pressing into Jesus and saying, Lord, Please help us 
to manifest your power in a way that honors you. That's hard, but it's worth it because the world is longing for a display of God's reality. In fact, you know what? Many believers are longing for a display of God's power. I'm going to tell you another story here. I was at the mall again three weeks ago. I don't tell you what mall I'm at. It doesn't really matter what mall I was at, but, but um, you know, I, I just, whatever. I, I try not to broadcast where I am all the time, but this specific mall, I love going there. The security guards love me, okay? So, like, I, I've, this is something I've learned in the last number of months in talking to people. Like, the security guards essentially each time tell me, Oh no, the more we work in the mall and see what's going on in our world, uh, people need hope. They're, they're not believers themselves, but they recognize people need hope. So they don't mind that I'm there. I'm not being rude to people or disrupting them. Um, but anyways, at the mall again, I sat down uh, in the food court and beside me was a couple and a great conversation starter always is food because people, everybody eats. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that, but great conversation starter. So they were eating something and I said, oh, wh- where'd you get that from? Oh, that, that kind of Greek place there. Oh, I've never ordered food from there. Is it good? Oh, we really like it. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not like food from our homeland. Oh, what's your homeland? Um, oh, Pakistan. We're from Pakistan. Oh, really? I said, wow, I haven't met many people from Pakistan. I've met many people from India. Now, I know that's a sensitive thing. Those countries don't get along very well. So you never know what's going to happen when you mention that. But they were very calm. And then we started talking and... I said, you know, I've worked for a church for a long time. And I'm curious about other people's beliefs. So Pakistan, my understanding, is primarily Muslim. But I know there's other beliefs there too. Oh yeah, we're Muslim. You can see they were very proud about that. So I said, oh, okay, well, I've read the Quran a couple summers ago. <gasps> you read the Quran? <laughs> I said, I read the Quran. And I said, you know, I said, I, I, it was good to read. I said, um, but as you know, the Bible and the Quran contradict, and I, I, I'm still a follower of Jesus, um, you know, and uh, oh, oh, you know, you must have not read it right. And uh, I mean, it's possible. They generally prefer you read it in Arabic, um, so it's pure that way. Um, so I could see, and then I found out what work, they, work he does. He's an aerospace engineer. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, okay, this is not going anywhere. We're not going to... It's not going to go anywhere in just debating the Quran versus the Bible here. In fact, I find debate rarely works anyways. And, and, I, and I'm, but he's an aerospace engineer. I'm not even smart enough to debate, debate him anyway. So I'm sitting there. They're taking another bite. So I've learned to pray. Oh, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I mean, when I first started doing this years ago, I would want to run. That would be my normal response or just give up on that conversation. So I just, I started praying. And then I looked up and I found myself saying something. Now, I say it that way. You know, sometimes you think of something and then you say it. Words started coming out of my mouth that I did not think beforehand, which is scary actually sometimes, right? <laughs> and this is what I found myself saying. I said, I bet you love the hospitality of your culture and your whole culture. I bet it's so special to you. But I bet you wonder about some of the life of Muhammad and his teachings. Well, when I heard what I had said, I thought, oh boy, this could go bad. (laughs) Their eyes went wide and they said, we were just talking about that. How did you know? Well, I didn't know what to say at that point. I was so shocked myself. 
So I, I, I muttered something like, oh, you know, perception or whatever. I don't, I don't know, like. <laughs> and they said, you know, we have to go, but we want to talk again. We're here often. I said, oh, I'm here often too. So I said, I'll find you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to profane God's name by robbing, robbing the furthering of God's kingdom through those methods at, time, at times. That's only the second time that's ever happened to me. So, so let's be willing and available. So the questions, I had questions for each attribute. Are we willing and available to be weak vessels for his power? You know, his power is made perfect in weakness. And the second question, do we trust that God can do anything? Anything. Is that our response to the circumstances of our life? God can do anything. That might not be our first response all the time. That's why we need to get our eyes on him. So a second attribute, he is compassionate. My definition for this, he deeply cares about our needs. And I, again, in caps, he deeply cares about our needs. God's compassion isn't just kind of a surface compassion. Well, yeah, I care what they're going through. The compassion of God is unlimited. So here's a verse that talks about his compassion. There are many in the Bible. Psalm 116, verse five. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Full of compassion. The, the, the Hebrew word behind compassion can actually have a sense of you will feel it. That's how compassionate God is. I think of when our daughter Ashley went through some concussions. She experienced the deep care of Jesus. I think of a gentleman in our church, he's been going through a cancer battle for a long time now. Eventually, uh, once in a while he sends me email updates and he always talks in there about, oh, does Jesus ever help me? You know, do you ever look to the future and fear? I do. <laughs> I always say this to myself. I do self-talk and then I just help others with my own self-talk too. I say, when we think about the future, do we add God to the equation when we're putting together that equation in our head? Can we listen to the testimony of our brother who struggles with cancer but says, Jesus shows up. So when we think about what's gonna happen in the future, what could happen, do we realize that a compassionate God will be there for us? We need to fill our minds with that truth. Here's a little tip. If you need to fill your minds more with a certain truth, do a word study. What I mean by that is, again, it's so easy with the internet, go to biblegateway.com, type in the word compassion, and look at all the verses. I do this all the time. I have dozens of word studies on, on, uh, on my computer. If you need this in front of you more, that can be a great thing to do. Matthew 9, 36, talking about Jesus, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Here's a question. When you see the crowds, whatever the crowd is, is that your response to have compassion on them? Is that your response? To have compassion on them. Now you might say, I don't naturally have that compassion. Well, neither do I. But that's again why we meet with the Lord. Because then he gives us that compassion. 
Again, his compassion is so great that it always leads to action. So Jesus sees the crowds. His compassion didn't stop with a feeling of compassion. He then tells his disciples, pray for workers. Like, see, again, action. There's always action that follows from God's compassion. Pray for workers. And then I love what Jesus does next. He says, yeah, pray for workers. And then he says to the 12, well, you go. (laughs) And you might say, wow, that's compassionate. It is. But guess what he told them? In Matthew 10, he gives them instructions and he basically tells them, some of you are gonna die. I'm like, first of all, I love that about Jesus, that he doesn't like, like not prepare them. But isn't that a declaration of the compassion of Jesus for the crowds that he would take his dear friends? They weren't just his followers, they were his friends. And he would say, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves and some of you are going to die. That's the compassion of God. Wow. So, he deeply cares for our needs. What kind of needs do we have? I'm just going to list some off here quickly. We need wisdom. I always say to my prayer partners, you guys see wisdom on my prayer letters often? Like, I really mean it. I need wisdom. We all need wisdom. James says, that God gives generously when we ask. We need strength, we need love. We, need, we don't need to just hear once that God loves us, we need to experience his love regularly. He's compassionate about that. We get uh, comfort from him, we get provision from him. And you know what's wonderful about this? As we turn to him for our needs, even when we've made a mess of our lives because Now we've made our wants, our needs, like we do that, right? We're in an envious culture. So sometimes we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble chasing after things that aren't actually needs. But even there, when we've made a mess of that, he's waiting for us to come back and show us compassion. The story of the prodigal son speaks of this. You know, that that young man Give me all my inheritance now. That's not a need. That was a want. Heads off, ends up in a horrible position. And then we read in Luke 15, 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled. There's that word again, filled with compassion for him. So you might be here today. You might say, oh boy. I've made a mess of things. (laughs) Maybe you've made a mess of things for a long time. Maybe it was just this weekend you've made a mess of things. I want to declare this to you. God is compassionate. Call on him in your need. And he will respond. He will respond. He will respond. So a couple of questions here. Will we call on him in our need? Oh, I used to be trying to be so macho. I can do this. Oh no, I run to him now. Oh, I need you. Help. I'll ask before I even know I have needs. I know I'm going to be needy. Help me, Lord. And the second question, will we show this compassion to others? See, it's, it's like the power thing too. God, we worship him in truth, not just by receiving from him what benefits us, but by then extending it to others. Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Do you know what? 
Do you know what our world needs right now? A lot of is compassion. A lot of compassion. So I'm just going to make a big statement here. Right at the end of the message, I'm going to make a big statement. And, and maybe it's an overstatement or oversimplified. Probably is, but that's okay. I don't mind. You can pray about it and God will guide you through it. But here's my statement. Our mission is actually not to moralize the world. The, Jesus did not give us the mission to take good moral laws and force people to do them. Now, I pray for moral laws. I try to be moral. I pray for people in positions of power that implement moral laws. It's actually loving to do that because if our world lives by moral laws, everybody benefits. So that's good to realize that. But the primary goal when I wake up in the morning is not to say, how can I make sure that moral laws get in as many places as they can? We see this from the life of Jesus. His first place to go was to show compassion. Do you know what I've discovered? When you exhibit compassion, people are more likely to show interest in what you have to say. Truth is important. If anybody knows me, you know that I believe in truth. But truth divorced from compassion is not powerful at all. So I want to relay one conversation I had recently with a dear brother in Christ. And he said I could share this, which I just appreciate. Um, you don't know why when I tell the story here. Uh, recently we were talking and it came up the situation in the world. And of course, everybody's talking about what's going on in the world. And he said, well, I tell you what, Chris, I am never gonna enter a store that ever mandates masks. And I, not, not, not just now, but never ever again. I said, okay. I said, interesting. He was trying to get my opinion. I don't really give my opinion too much on that stuff, but I did give my opinion on something. I said, I said, okay, that's a pretty strong conviction. Um, I said, I res- you know, I respect that. I said, just tell me a little bit. I don't, I'm not afraid like those people, those people. I don't know what that means, those people. Um, and um, I said, okay, um, it sounds like you're afraid actually of something. No, no, I'm not afraid. And they believe these things. Well, I'm, again, I, I don't even know what my convictions are on all the things that are going on, but I did say this, this conviction I have, I said, brother, I have a question. What if the people, those people, needed compassion? Could Jesus send you into that store? I said, could he? Well, I never thought of it that way. I said, I said can I tell you something I did this week, a sin I committed this week? I told him, he said, yeah. I said, did you commit any sins this week? Yeah. I said, should we keep sharing about the sins we committed this week? He said, no, I think, I think it would take quite a while. I said, yeah, it probably would take quite a while. Like, I wasn't referring to him. Hope he didn't think that. But, um, and I said, and when you prayed this week, did Jesus still welcome you into his presence? Yeah. Probably we're supposed to do that too and show that kind of compassion to people. So thank you. To his credit, he responded to that. So are we showing compassion? So my point these two weeks has, be, has been, let's elevate God for all that he is. Acts 9.31, I'm going to close with this. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, what does it mean to live in the fear of the Lord? Part of living in the fear of the Lord is to be in awe of who God is and to acknowledge him for who he is to live in the fear of the Lord. I, I think if we as a church and the churches 
in our country will live in the fear of the Lord, filled in their minds with the, the idea of who God is, we're gonna have an amazing impact and we'll be strengthened for whatever is going to happen. I wanna be like that. So we're gonna worship, we're gonna get our eyes on Jesus. I think that's one of the greatest parts of a service is to be able to pause and fix our eyes again. So I'm gonna invite you to stand. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at mycellphone.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at mycellphone.com. 